0: Put Me In Coach, the theme of this sermon series that concludes this morning. We've been thinking together about each of us finding our place of service in God's kingdom. I want to thank John and Cindy for that beautiful offering of music and for all of the music this morning and for uh, all of the the spiritual gifts that have gone together to make this worship service possible. I want to read a story to you uh, about a little boy who uh, was basically available to let the coach put him in And a very important episode in our New Testament uh, life. And I would like to invite your attention to John's Gospel. uh, John chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. I invite you to open your Bibles because I'll be referring to that passage throughout the message. It will be on the screen. John's Gospel chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. And I'll invite you to stand if you're able as I read this word aloud. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass In the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to remain standing. Fooled you, didn't I? Uh, creatures of habit. Uh, I, want to, I want to offer a prayer, uh, just a couple of thoughts. One is that this is All Saints Day. All over the world, Christians celebrate first day of November as a day of celebration to remember all the great saints who've gone before. Believe it or not, there was a day in the Christian experience when All Saints Day was a bigger day than Christmas celebration. In fact, you know how Christmas Eve is almost as special as Christmas Day? Well, the evening before All Saints Day was a big celebration too. It was hallowed evening, and that became shortened to Halloween. How we got where we are today with all of the goblins and ghouls Uh, We don't have time or understanding to explain. But it's a very special day in the history of the church. Just pausing to thank God for all who've gone before us, just in your life, in my life, in this church's life. What an awesome, awesome privilege. And also, just by happenstance of calendar, this is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church all over the world. There are Christians and there are churches that are paying an enormous price to be followers of Jesus Christ and to, and to stand for his name. And they need to know that believers who are living in comfort and in liberty are remembering them in prayer. Let's pray together. Eternal God, you have knit together one church in heaven and on earth, and we thank you for that. One in Jesus Christ. We all belong to you through him. We thank you for all who've gone before us, for the way that they have paved the way to make our lives so blessed and so rich for all the saints. And we pause to thank you for those names and faces that come to mind on this very special day. We remember, too, your persecuted church, those believers and those assemblies who are standing tall for Jesus that you would protect them from harm, that you would strengthen them, that you would fortify them and grant them your peace and your victory, that in all ways Christ might be glorified and your church built up. Dear God, thank you for the gifts that you bestow upon us, those talents and energies, those uh, endowments and capabilities that, that you place in us. And we pray that we'll use them wisely. And this morning that we'll have the courage to ask, God, what is there in me that you want to use more creatively? What is it we need to discover this morning? As for this final Sunday, we pray the prayer that you might put us in the game, off of the sidelines, engaged in ministry. We wait in your presence and thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Now you may be seated. Well, I thought it would be good, since this is the final sermon in this series, to do a little bit of review. I take my cue from school teachers everywhere who know that when you finish a unit, you, you want to give a, a, an overview and, and think together about what we've learned. And after all, you have slept between sermons. I didn't say during sermons. You have slept... <laughs> between sermons, and you've done a lot of other things, and so I just want to put on the screen a couple of, uh, several review thoughts, and I've phrased them negatively because what we've done in our sermon series on Put Me in Coach, as we've thought about spiritual gifts, those endowments, those, those capabilities, those talents God has placed in us to touch other lives and impact the world. As we think about them, there are a lot of mistakes that we make along the way. And, and as we've been through this series, we've tried to correct some of those mistakes. For example, one of the mistakes that we discovered is that we often try to separate spiritual gifts from life outside the church. We got into the bad habit uh, of thinking that spiritual gifts were only for the country club atmosphere of the church. Whatever can make us more comfortable, can entertain us, to make us feel more Uh, affirmed in the choices we've made in life. And in reality, spiritual gifts are to reach the lost without Christ, to impact the world who doesn't know Jesus, to relieve suffering, to bring about justice and the wholeness that God intended outside the walls of the church. Another mistake that we make uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts, to separate spiritual gifts from servant love. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? even if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, even if I have the gift of prophecy, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love is that which is so crucial to maximize all spiritual gifts. Servant love is what God intends to be the delivery system for all spiritual gifts. And then third, a mistake we make is to think that spiritual gifts are only for clergy, only for those who are called to some kind of vocational ministry, when in reality, God gifts and calls all believers to some function and some ministry in the church. And there's really no ranking of them. All of those gifts are important. All of those are urgent. And then the fourth mistake that we make is that we often consider the gifts as solo performance instead of symphony. And the truth is that there really are no solo spiritual gifts. All spiritual gifts are intended to be lived out through the body of Christ, through believers, and we become stronger and more effective because our spiritual gifts are pooled with others to make a symphony, not a solo. The way I said it a couple of weeks ago is very simply that spiritual gifts do not thrive in isolation. Spiritual gifts only thrive in constellation. That is, that, that spiritual gifts make, like the stars, a constellation of holding together and accomplishing much more ...than they could individually. So that by way of review to help us think about the ground that we've covered... ...or some of the ground that we've covered uh, these four weeks... ...and and what it is that we're trying to understand more deeply about spiritual gifts. Now in this beautiful story in John's Gospel, Chapter 6... ...we read this very familiar story... ...about Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people... ...with just a few loaves and a few fish... Now, uh, here's a little bit of trivia. Uh, You can try it out tomorrow in the office or at school, and people will think you're Bible scholars. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is in all four Gospels. The only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. See, you impress somebody with that, they're going to say, wow, this person's smart. Uh, And that probably also means it's pretty important. And it's always important to look at the particular angle that each gospel writer takes on the story. And there's a reason I chose the John version, because John has two things that aren't in the other three gospels. The first one, John is the only one who mentions the little boy. Now, children were not valued much in Jesus' day. They were in the way. They were a bother till they got old enough to help with chores and work They were sort of just just in the way. Uh, They had no rights. They, They were not treated as special. They were just sort of there. So it's amazing that John would remind us that a child is the hero of the story. But here's the second thing. He wasn't just a boy. He wasn't just a child. He was a child with five barley loaves. And barley was the bread of the poor in Jesus' day. Barley was the bread of the poor. So he wasn't just a child. He was a child from the wrong side of the tracks. He was a child who'd probably been told in a lot of different ways, you're a nobody. You and your family don't count. And so you get that far on the story if you know the cultural context and you're thinking, not very promising prospects. Prospects. 5,000 hungry people, not very promising prospects. You can't do much with a kid who's poor. But isn't it interesting how Jesus always sees things differently? Isn't it interesting how Jesus can see possibilities where we don't see any possibilities? I mean, haven't you... Be honest. Don't answer this out loud. Haven't you said things in your life like, well, I'm just a layman. I'm not a preacher. I I haven't had any formal training. Uh, I couldn't get up there and do uh, music. I I don't have any gifts. I, I don't have any talents that I could use in the church. Haven't you said that? Well, that's wrong. Because Jesus always looks at us and sees possibilities. He sees what's in our basket, what's in our hand and he can make something of it. In fact, if you look at this text carefully, you'll see that the disciples were focused on the lack. The disciples were focused on the deficiency. Philip starts out and says, uh, man, six months' wages. Wouldn't buy enough groceries to feed this crowd. Where are you going to get food, Jesus? Focused on the lack. And then Andrew chimes in, the brother of Simon Peter. There's a boy here, but what would that little bit of food do with all these people? They were focused on the lack. While they focused on the lack, Jesus focused on the positive possibilities. He knew what he could do. And see, so many times we're focused on what cannot be done jesus knows what can be done i'm convinced the more i've studied spiritual gifts in the church i'm convinced that every new testament church has in it exactly the constellation of spiritual gifts that that church needs at that moment of ministry in that place if the people are open to the leadership of the holy spirit that every church in every location, has what it needs at that moment in that place of witness, if the people of God are open to the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you this other quote that I hope you'll remember. "God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. God equips the called. He doesn't, he doesn't start with our end of things what we think our obsession is with talents or gifts. He equips those who are willing to follow the call. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Jesus is always able to take our little and make it much. Our little and make it much if we are available to him and what he wants to do. As I thought about the, the four sermons in this series, I noticed a pattern. I noticed that three of the four biblical texts that we use for these sermons all had something to do with hospitality. you remember Romans 12? There was a reference to hospitality in the listing of spiritual gifts. You remember uh, how Paul lists those out and uh, You remember how he uh, is very specific about hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4. In the midst of mentioning spiritual gifts, whatever God has given you, he mentions hospitality. And think about the hospitality in this story. Jesus' hospitality, saying, don't send them away. Let's let's practice hospitality. Let's feed 5,000 people. Try that, men, on your wife someday. Let's feed 5,000 people. And the hospitality of the little boy, the child. The hospitality to share. I was thinking about this, and I was reflecting on my own childhood. I did not realize it at the time. But my parents had had and practiced the gift of hospitality. There were always people in our home. We were always encouraged to bring friends home from school, though we lived 15 miles from town out in the country. Uh, They had uh, a foster child. They had foreign exchange students. And because we were active in a little country church, Maple Grove Baptist Church, uh, the preachers always drove up from Kansas City. And they needed a place to stay if they came up Saturday night. They needed a place to eat Sunday dinner. And my parents were in the regular and more than regular rotation of having the pastor and his wife in our home. And I grew up around that. And I'm firmly convinced that one of the ways that I was taught to love the church and to love Christ and to hear the call to vocational ministry was because my mom and dad were faithful to their giftedness. See, something little like some groceries, a small farmhouse, nothing elaborate, something small that Jesus can take and turn into something big. That's just the way Jesus works. And we have to be able to listen to the promptings of what that moment might be calling us to. Back in 1986, a year after the Kansas City Royals won the World Series, you knew I was going to work that in, right? I date everything by. Uh, in 1986, the Royals' manager Dick Hauser was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, he had just managed the All-Star Game, you know, a few months after winning the World Championship, and uh, it was it devastated the baseball world and particularly the Kansas City Royals uh, fan base. And in the midst of all the media hype and all of the, did you hear about this? Isn't that tragic? I have a pastor friend named Jim who had the good sense and the openness to the Holy Spirit. He picked up the phone. He found a way of connection. And he called the Housers' home in Kansas City. And he said, I'm not prying. This is not a publicity stunt. I'm a pastor here in the Lee Summit, Kansas City area, praying for you. And if you're in need of a pastor in this time of need to walk with you, I'm available. To his surprise, they responded. Jim became their pastor and friend. He led manager Dick Hauser to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Dick Hauser made his profession of faith before that brain cancer took his life. And my pastor friend Jim preached the funeral. All because of a little thing. A phone call. A knock on the door. Oh, they'll think I'm a publicity monger. They'll think I'm a troublesome preacher. You know, what's the worst they can do? Tell you to leave them alone? He was just faithful in the little thing. And Jesus took that. And he did so much. He did so much. By the way... I think that one of the reasons this miracle is in all four Gospels is that I think that this meal that Jesus prepared for the 5,000 is a picture and a foretaste, and appetizer of the banquet feast that we will all enjoy in the eternity someday. And every spiritual gift that we have is designed to bring as many people to that banquet to relieve suffering to restore God's broken world, and to bring people to Christ so that that banquet table is absolutely huge. So that all the Dick Housers and the Doyle Sagers of the world can be there. But as we think about spiritual gifts, there's another misconception that we operate under, and I think this story hints at it. We often have the misconception that God always gives us spiritual gifts built around our personality strengths. But I'm not sure that's true. I think that God also gives us spiritual gifts built around some of our deficiencies and weaknesses, some of our flaws, some of our brokenness. God can use the brokenness just as he used the deficiencies of the little boy. For example, I'm convinced that some recovering alcoholics can reach people for Christ I can never reach because they're so authentic about their brokenness and pain. And they can talk about things that I have no experience with. And in AA, they learn to be authentic and to be genuine. They can minister places I can't minister. They can lead people to Christ I can never touch. When I was diagnosed with prostate cancer back 12 years ago, Uh, since then I have been amazed at the doors that have opened the men I've had an opportunity to minister to and minister with because of that physical brokenness, because of that, that thing that wasn't right in my life. And I wonder this morning, what weakness has God blessed you with? What weakness and brokenness has God blessed you with? And instead of cursing it, maybe there's a spiritual gift hovering around it that you can use to glorify God. See, the little boy in this story, uh, the story isn't built on his native skills. Oh, here's a kid with really connected parents. They know some Romans. Here's a kid straight-A student with lots of privilege. He's really sharp, and he's got a, a pipeline to a grocer who can really fix us up with bread. The story's not built on his native skill or connectedness. The story's built on his lack, his weakness, his brokenness that God can use. And remember, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. He'll use us if we're able, if we're available, if we're willing. When Rod and I went back to Sedalia um, a few weeks ago to their 150th uh, celebration of First Baptist Church's 150th anniversary, uh, in the Saturday night service they were hearing various testimonies of some of the the people who had grown up in the church and uh, were doing effective ministry and A young lady named Kristen uh, shared. She was a little girl when we were serving there, and she's grown up, went to medical school at Mizzou, finished medical school, and is headed now into uh, her uh, residency training. And she she shared with the group that she had done her undergraduate degree, intentionally done her undergraduate degree in sociology, because she's so concerned about uh, the world and wanting to use her medical practice. Uh, in some kind of ministry function. And as a part of her sociology degree, she had to do a capstone project as a senior at Mizzou. And so she prayed about it, looked around Sedalia, and realized that there were all these hungry people, people who didn't have enough food at home, people who were maybe living on the street, hungry people. And so Kristen, being so resourceful, so bright, uh created Community Cafe. And with the help of a lot of agencies and writing some grants, Community Cafe was born. A a place, churches take turns hosting it. And people know they can come and get free meals. And Kristen shared that night, this past December, that since its founding in 2006, Community Cafe has fed over 200,000 people. And then I'll never forget Kristen's closing line in her testimony. She said, the only thing God calls us to is to be ready. That's all God calls any of us to. Just be ready. The gifts are in you. God's going to match up that gift and some need. And when that time is ready, God will let you know, just be ready. Be ready to say, put me in, Jesus. Put me in, Jesus. I'm tired of being on the sidelines. I'm going stale. It's not fun. Put me in where the action is. Just like that little boy was ready. Just some barley loaves, some fish. And Jesus used it. Let's pray. Open our hearts, God, to your power and to the new things that you want to do in us. Open our hearts, God, that we'll be ready. This is our prayer. Amen. Now, as you look this way, uh, I want to invite you During our response time, if there's something God is calling you to, uh, we encourage you to be faithful and and open. If you want to come pray with one of us about that, we'd be happy to do that. You may just come and pray at the altar if you choose to do that by yourself or with someone else. And also we want to invite you, if you've never trusted Christ, never come to that place of, of realization of your need to be forgiven, to be cleansed, that need to repent, to turn from that life that has shut him out. And open your life to that, to that one who wants us all at the banquet feast in eternity. He loves you so much. And he's got such great plans for you. He wants to use your life, but you have to come to his son, Jesus Christ. So we invite you to do that if you've not trusted him. You want to join our church, we would welcome you to be a part of our family, whatever the need. Let's stand together, Rod's going to lead us, and let's sing together.